Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 86 for Sunday, December 12th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, Ken Gagney, and joining me as always is my fabulous captain. I never know how you're going to introduce me. Hi, I am Captain Sabriel Mastin, and I am ready to have an episode that's about one-third good. Oh no, you know, uh, this show is once again doing three subplots, just like last week. Has Discovery always done that? Am I just now noticing? Uh, I hadn't thought about it until you just asked here. <laughs> so this week, the episode is All is Possible. We have three plots. There was Tilly's team-building exercise with the Starfleet cadets. There was okay. Navarre joining the Federation. And there was Book's therapy with Dr. Culber. Uh, did I get those right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Okay. There was some, like, you know, like, wibbly-wobbly tiny threads but yeah you got the basics okay because last week you pointed out another plot and that i was like no no no, no that's not a subplot that's a sub subplot and so <laughs> I, mean, I just want to make sure like we're... okay so many plots okay. <laughs> all right so let's dive right into season four episode four all is possible which oh, actually plot yes i want i forgot last week to mention this i want to start with it um i can't find it because i watch star trek through uh paramount plus through amazon but mm-hmm. if you watch through paramount plus there is now a star trek live quote-unquote channel that just 20 plays 24 7 star trek oh. beyond that i don't know like if it's random is it a playlist i don't know i've just read multiple stories about it no one has an answer other than it just plays star trek 24 7 have you watched it yourself? Oh, you, you said you can't because you know I, I have Paramount Plus. Or I've not found right. it. Yeah. So I have Paramount Plus. I will check that out. I was not aware of this. Yeah, they did it. They apparently do it for a number of series, and Star Trek got its own. I think there's like a classic TV one, kind of like TV Land or Pluto. Um, right. But uh, apparently, there's one for Star Trek as well. If you subscribe directly through Paramount Plus, it's interesting that people would find that useful because you can get any one episode on demand if you're already a Paramount Plus subscriber. Yeah, I was thinking, like, you know what? I could actually see that, because sometimes I will just put Star Trek on, and sometimes I'll pick up whatever I left off last time I watched. Otherwise, I'll sometimes I'll like scroll through the seasons. Ah, here, how about this one? And so, I don't think a random or shuffle is all that bad. Uh, it might be more difficult if it was modern Star Trek versus contemporary, but uh, I think it's all the contemporary stuff. So it relieves you the burden of choice. Uh, it relieves me the eight seconds <laughs> between each episode. Decide what I want to watch. By the way, you mentioned Pluto. This is this news is a couple weeks old now, but Pluto is now where many international audiences can watch Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, apparently some international audiences. Oh well, there was a thing. One of the like, CEOs was basically like, hmm, "We realize Star Trek makes a lot of money, and we're paying a lot of people, or they're paying us money." To do things, but what if we made the money instead and get rid of the middleman? And uh, so, yeah, they had to make some new deals. I think they even own Pluto, that's why they're putting it there. 
Oh, okay. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think so. Let's find out. So I'm looking on Wikipedia. I've only ever known Pluto TV because they have a 24-7 Mystery Science Theater channel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. Uh, It looks like they partner with Paramount Plus, Showtime, Noggin, Bet Plus. Uh, Let's see. That's BET. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. And then they also uh, have channels based on Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, VH1, MTV. So I don't think they're out. Yes, those are all Viacom channels. I don't think Viacom itself is... Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. They are owned by Viacom, not Paramount, but Viacom as of 2019. So that explains a lot. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, sorry to have that interjected in there, but... This is worth bringing up because we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Netflix was no longer carrying it. And this is the natural conclusion that we neglected to follow up on. Yeah. Cool. Okay, now I'm ready... As, as Paramount shows new ways, all is possible to make money for themselves, we can talk about this episode. Yeah, and which of the three subplots do you want to talk about? Tilly, um, Navarre, or Book? I want to talk about how, how did you feel walking away from this episode? How did I feel walking away? Well, they reintroduced more action like they saw in episodes one and two and not three. So they brought some of that back. I am still confused why they spent the first two episodes introducing this galactic threat. And then... This week, they're teaching cadets. I'm like, oh, I, I feel like they could have just avoided the DMA entirely and just talked about what's it like to rebuild the Federation now that everybody has lithium back. And that could have been the season. I think that's something you, Susan, and I even talked about last season, which was let's have them go to a different planet like every week and have them talk about reintroducing them to the Federation. And that would have been cool. We saw Navarre. We saw the butterfly people. We could see more planets, but there's this whole galactic threat that they're just ignoring, and I'm getting confused the less time they spend on it. I don't know that they're ignoring it. We show that they're still working on it. It's a time thing. Not in, We're not going to fit this in a very timely matter. And they even mentioned like at the opening scene, uh, Stamets is still working on it, uh, things like that. And so I think it's this huge, massive problem that, you know what, we got problems at home too. Uh, but we also have this major problem that we can't do anything what we're not making much progress on until the next episode where we need to make progress on it. <laughs> um, sorry, <laughs> I get cynical about real life sometimes, but uh, and it's all in good nature. Uh, you know, we're getting some actual character development. And, you know, if there's going to be downtime, I am all happy to explore um, things such as this. I walked away from this episode being quite bored for part of it. Uh, but the last third I loved. Uh, we'll talk more about it, but Tilly and the Cadets was my least favorite part. The repercussions of it is one of my favorite parts. Did you have a favorite of the three subplots? Uh, I think... I think it was the Navarre part. Yeah. uh, The first part of that, I was like, come on, you're just doing exposition. I know I saw, I watched what you were just telling me, but um, the wrap up I loved. So mm-hmm. like I said, the last third of this episode, I liked the good share of the first parts I was bored with. Oh, Oh, uh, glasses guy, Dr. Kovic. Yeah. This showed that there was, I know you were kind of disappointed. You had seen a clip of him in the episode. Yep. You know, let's just start with this Tilly and the cadets. Cause 
we showed that uh, there was nothing to be gleaned from him having a preview or being in the preview because he could have been any other character in the Star Trek canon. Um, basically, who sent Tilly off on a mission. There was no reason for him specifically. I was confused why somebody who makes it a specialty of studying the Mirror Universe is now in charge of like Starfleet Academy. I know that's not exactly his role, but you're right. There was no reason for it to be him. Yeah, uh, like whenever we in the past when we've seen Doctor Kovic, it's been behind something weird and mysterious, and that was not hinted at. He'll if there's something more in the future episodes for him being here cool but no this felt like it was more like an admiral vance or new starfleet person he's just consulting here and i'm like feels like they're like we don't have an we need a character and uh david cronenberg is here on set today will you play this part um uh, i mean i like the guy he's cool he i like how he talks i like how he you know sets up scenes but the fact that he was spoiled for you, I suspect it turned out to be, oh, this was nothing. Yeah, he was not what I was expecting. I do think his personality, the character's personality, lent itself well to this role because he's very dry and serious. And so mm-hmm. when he leaves a, somebody a compliment, it comes across as a surprise and thus carries that much more weight. But yeah, it, there, it wasn't necessary for Glasses Guy to be the Starfleet Academy person. So um, I, I'm, to- I'm totally de- picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. But uh, you are right. He did that at the end scene when he's talking to Tilly and saying, good work. Uh, you know, it was really well done. I'm glad yeah. it was him. It, it was good to have him, but it made no sense to be him. Um, so I guess we opened the show mostly with Tilly in therapy, which is really cool. Uh, so leading up into the Academy part here. Yeah, and once again, somebody else puts her on a path. Like last week it was, why don't you go try hunting down nuns? And she's like, oh, okay. And then Culber's like, why don't you go try going on a cadet mission? She's like, oh, okay. She doesn't really have a lot of luck coming up with these ideas on her own. Her idea of going outside her comfort zone is trying mac and cheese. Well, she even said like, oh, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I was happy to see her in therapy, but then it turned out to be Culber passing her her plot point. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, and then I think Tell- Tilly's, Tilly the character excels when put in situations that are not her expertise. Uh, like, like when she was put, some of her most memorable scenes are like when she was forced to play the mirror universe, Captain Killy. Mm-hmm. Or when she was asked to be, serve as a uh, Acting captain when Saru is gone. Like, those are some yep. powerful moments, but I mean, she's also really good with people. But, um, and so putting her, the whole setup was good. I liked her being in charge of a bunch of kids. But, like, once the whole kids part felt so much like I've seen this in every show that has college kids in it. Hmm. And I was bored to tears. Yeah, I shared the same sentiment as the Orion, which was, this is obviously part of the training, right? We're in a hollow suite. And like, that's kind of what I was expecting up until one of the cadets actually died. But everything else, I was like, this is far too convenient. They were going to do a planetary survey, and that's somehow a team building exercise. Like, you don't have to work together to survey a planet. And so it seemed to make 
perfect sense that of course there would be an emergency and it turned out that it was not part of the training you know i don't think that's actually true but <laughs> what if you had like dr kovic was all part of it? his being here meant it was all a conspiracy to get them to work he, someone died unfortunately but he knew there was going to be a gamma ray burst it's not true i just throwing things out there to giggle at the thought that it was a plot yeah i agree i don't think anybody would have purposely put a cadet's life in danger but uh, I found it interesting. We don't see many L-class planets, so that was kind of neat. This is clearly a planet that's been surveyed before because they knew everything about that organism. Um, but I, I found the solution that, oh, we just need to go to higher ground so we get better reception on our cell phones. <laughs> like, there's no way they could have known the exact altitude they needed to reach. And that was just very convenient that, that cliff was right there and the right height. Um, right. Uh, yeah, I, that was so boring. Will Wheaton asked Mary Weissman in the radio room, was like, please tell me you were on a soundstage. And she's like, nope, we were in a quarry in, in Toronto. <laughs> in oh, <the> wow. Winter. <laughs> That's surprising. Uh-huh. Which huh. I kept forgetting to bring up. There was a video going around about two, three weeks ago of, I don't think I brought it up on the show anyway. Maybe I'm misremembering. But you know how the Mandalorian was, um, the Star Wars show was, they have new tech where they build a set like in a dome using uh, like Unreal Engine and CGI so yes. that actors can you know basically feel where they are. They're doing that with Star Trek Discovery this season too. And in this little video clip, they called it the holodeck. Ah, that's funny. amazing. Um <laughs> uh ar set and slash holodeck uh it was so cool but so that's why i brought that up because like they well not why i brought it up but thought of it because will wheaton asked like did you use that and she's like nope we went outside (laughs) Uh, okay um but yeah that whole bit was oh we got to learn more about what happened with the um the emerald chain and everything but and the emerald chain all that but Eh, uh, I feel like there was probably more interesting way to have um, we gotta pull ourselves up and work together um, cause, and we're kids I was really confused about what exactly happened to Adira so at one point all of a sudden Ice is climbing up her legs and they can't just walk over and get her they need to pull her with a rope yeah. and there were a lot of things I didn't understand there uh, yeah like the ground got hit by uh, spider lightning, which somehow made the, I don't know, jelly ice? I couldn't tell. That was weird. Uh, when I did my rewatch, there was like a two minutes I could just forward, 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 forward and skip. That made no sense to me. Yeah, because it didn't look like this was similar to the 2009 Star Trek movie where Spock's mother is on a cliff and it suddenly, you know, the cliff falls away and she dies. Spoiler, by the way. So I, it didn't seem like it looked to me like they were on completely level ground and I didn't see any break where additional weight would have caused a deer to plummet to their death. Yeah. So like it was the planet that like discovery landed in first episode last season. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. So, Oh, that's a good point. They're similar technique that they're using, but different environment. Right. So why didn't they just go over and grab them? Yeah. It was weird to me. And, and you watched it twice, and you still didn't get it. I mean, the second time, I just skipped over that part, because I was like, <laughs> no, I can save time here, because I know nothing interesting happens here. Okay. <laughs> I did that a lot for the Tilly and the Cadets part. Oh, okay. 
I don't have too much more to say about that plot. My notes were, oh. it's a team building exercise. I thought they were in a holodeck and what happened to Adira's feet? My notes were, my opening part was zzz, <laughs> snoring. <laughs> uh, and I skipped swaths in the rewatch. Dr. Kovic had nothing to be there. No reason to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my notes for Tilly and the cadets. Um, By the way, every time you say that, I'm thinking like, oh, that's the name of my Archie's cover band. <laughs> Um, but we but we can talk about the repercussions this plot had on Tilly as a character. Yeah, that's my next section, Tilly and Starfleet Academy. <laughs> uh, and I wrote, this is finally, this whole section finally got good when they got back to Federation headquarters. Because, yeah, I love the scene where Kovac is telling Tilly why no one trusted Discovery when it appeared. Yep. They knew nothing about the burn, and they still had that feeling that Starfleet can do anything. And he's, he says, quite frankly, it stung. Yeah. I really liked that. That's one of the reasons I thought Kovic was a good fit for that need to deliver that line. Yeah. And maybe that's why they brought him in, even if it felt weird, because he was good for that line. Um, or maybe Starfleet and the Federation itself is just so thin in its ranks that everybody's pulling double roles. Yeah. But anyway... Tilly and Adira. Uh, that's connected to that too. This part actually is, this is where it really hit me. Tilly's connection to Adira is friendship, but also like mentor, mentee. And um, I wrote down Tilly's quote. Uh, when I see you and I see everything you have been through and all you've accomplished, you're a reminder of me that anything is possible. I thought that was just beautiful. I have, I have someone who's in a similar age gap She's about to graduate college. Uh, we're both in the same group, or we're both part of a group that we share, and we're both the only lesbians in there. And so we talk a lot. And a lot of times, I sometimes feel that mentor-mentee relationship, and just seeing the things she does, and I'm just so I get overwhelmed with the emotion of happiness and pride sometimes, and that felt really good. Um, does this person also suffer from low self-esteem like Adira does? Uh, I don't want to talk about that relationship too much there. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that's their private stuff, but, uh, it, it just kind of hit home and maybe feeling all good feels. Yeah. I really liked the way Tilly put it, which was how come you start from a place of can't. And I know a lot of people like that when, yeah. like when, when somebody asked me to do something very often, my response is, I would love to do that. And here are the problems we need to solve to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But other people, when you present them with an opportunity, they might say, I can't do that because these are the problems stopping me from doing it. Yeah. And sometimes even the same person can have those about completely different things. Oh, sure. Sure. Now, you know, we contain multitudes. It's true. Yeah. I was just thinking like, where am I like that? Cause like, I usually have a can do attitude, but in certain things I'm like, uh, nope. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Let's not even try because that would be pointless. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> well, I have a can-do attitude. <laughs> Ken don't. Um, oh. No. <laughs> um, also, I was right. Tilly was not doing this whole Captain Sea Officer thing for herself. You were right. And that is not intuitive to me because her mother always seemed to disapprove of Tilly joining Starfleet. And so... <sighs> I guess Tilly was trying to be successful on that path because if she was good enough at it, maybe her mom will admit, well, gee, I guess you were right, Tilly. This is the right path for you. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I would feel like 
there was still other reasons to be on that path because Tilly chose it for herself. There might be, but still that's the underlying part there. I mean, there could be multiple reasons why I like a thing, but, um, you know, but there might be, you know, a primary thing that started it all. Yeah. And this whole thing, I put a clip on Twitter this morning after I watched the ready room this morning, um, cause Will Wheaton interviewed Mary Weissman. He usually has a bunch of questions for the actors that the writers of ready room write for him to ask. Well, this one, he had a personal thing he wanted to talk to Mary about. He started it doing like that panel thing where like, I have a question, but it's actually a story. Uh, <laughs> and he realized that halfway through. But he was talking about how in the scene when Tilly is talking to the scene that Tilly is talking to Michael at the end about going to teach at Starfleet Academy, he said that how hard that hit him. Uh, I don't have the exact quote, but even though he's been a part of Star Trek, he this is the first time he's ever felt seen by Star Trek because growing up, this part I did write the quote down. All I ever wanted in my life was to be seen by my parents who put me on a path I didn't want to be on and then wouldn't let me change. And he was crying, telling her this. He just wanted to be seen. And Tilly saying she just wanted to be seen. It was really powerful. I made Ken watch it right before we started recording. (laughs) And it's a tearjerker. Uh, But good tears. Yeah, and in fact, Will Wheaton wrote on his blog that afterward he went to the producer of the Ready Room and said, "If you know, I broke protocol by sharing that story with Tilly. I'm supposed to be here as the interviewer, not a fan per se. And if uh, that was too emotional or too one-sided, and you want to cut it from the final episode, I'm totally okay with that. I'm okay with this just being a moment that Mary and I shared off set." And they said, no, actually, we all really loved it. And we thought it was really great and powerful. And we're going to include it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If there was any of those, I, I suggest watching. It's this one and the one with um, Ian and Blue last week. Uh, yeah. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, <laughs> no, but I can I can totally see where Tilly is coming from to a, a degree. Like when I was in high school, I was good at two things. Computers which is a really broad term now, like 30 years later, what does that mean? <laughs> and musical theater. And like, these are the two things that really jazzed me up. Like I was doing the music, the after-school musical program. And then I'd go home from that at night and I'd run my dial-up bulletin board system. And so when it t- came time to look at colleges, I started looking at theater programs. And my dad said, no, you'll never make a living at that. Go into computers, Go go to this college that, your great uncle, uncle, and cousin all went to. It's a great college for that science stuff. I was like, okay. So I did that. And for the first two years, I was repeatedly failing classes. And then I finally switched majors to communications and started getting straight A's. Mm-hmm. And, and then like six years ago, uh, I, I was looking at jobs and I was thinking, you know, I, you know, since my dad put me on this science path and I do kind of still like computers, I don't want to be a programmer, but maybe I should learn some PHP because that's what WordPress is written in. And I mentioned this to my dad. He's like, "Uh, you don't want to be a programmer. That's just boring stuff day to day doing the same thing over and over. I was like, wait a minute, dad, 30 years ago, you were telling me to pursue this. And now you're telling me it's a waste of time. I was like, so yeah, no matter what I did, it didn't matter. It was never going to be the right thing for him. Parents, you know, they all do their best and parenting doesn't come with a manual. 
And sometimes they're dealing with their own stuff from how they were raised and they pass it on to their kids without knowing it. I get all that, but oh my God, doesn't make it any less frustrating when they screw up this badly. Uh, right. Like I had a situation when I had wanted to go to the time DigiPen out in Washington, work on video games, video games yes. were my thing. And, uh, I was too young to understand that I could just tell my mom, no, I'm going to do this. Even if I was 18, because I was still, you know, I'm still a kid. She said, no, she didn't want me to move that far away. She just said, no. And, you know, like all these years later, like there's lots of times I wonder how I know my life would have gone so much differently. Much, it would have been much more different uh, if she would have said yes. I may have turned out to hated it, have hated it, but I wish I would have been op- allowed that opportunity to go find out. Sure. And like you said, you may have hated it and I might've gone into musical theater and been terrible at it. And I would definitely not be making the salary I am now, mm-hmm. but you know, there's that part of me that says, I, did I even try? Well, I, I did. I did go to New York city and I did some auditions, uh, but I didn't have the training, the experience that these kids who actually studied it had. And so I couldn't hold a candle to them and I, I didn't get any parts. Yeah. Oh. Now, what? But Oh, well. Uh, but, 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 I mean, this really goes to highlight, like, even just Tilly's path. Right. <laughs> parents set forth. I mean, but, I mean, what better way to talk about it than making it personal? Um, yeah. Yeah, Tilly went through some things, and I can't wait to see her flourish or find out if it's not for her. Um, we know Mary Weissman's not leaving the show, um, besides her saying it. Otherwise, we would also be seeing tons of media going... Mary Weissman, why was she leaving uh, Star Trek in its most prominent season? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but she just flat out said, like, no, I'm not leaving. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so don't think about that. But um, I can't wait to see how this works out for Tilly. And I hope it's freaking amazing. Yeah, I too wonder what it means for her character and for the actor. Because Tilly is one of the leading characters on this show. I mean, she was number one last season. And now you were talking about the great relationship Tilly has with Adira. For Tilly to not even be on Discovery now, I don't know how any of that is going to play out. Uh, Is it all just gone? Because the other thing we kind of ignored about here and Tilly and the cadets is the part with Gray and Adira, which will tie back to this, Gray getting a body, going to be himself and going to meet people. I have no problem with it. At the beginning of the episode is really cute because he sends them off uh, off to work saying you're going to do great because Adira is feeling terrible or, or feeling down about having to go to do this quote unquote alone um, without Gray. And uh, Gray gives examples saying I just make friends. I just walk in and say hi and now I have friends. Um, Adira <laughs> doesn't know how to do that. And here Adira, they met a bunch of new cadets, and even at the end of the episode, or at least end of the Tilly and the cadets um, arc, Adira says they have some new friends, and so this will help Adira move on from using Tilly as an anchor. Yeah, and also maybe using Grey as an anchor, because Adira never really went through the academy, and Adira said to Tilly, oh, I thought I was just here to help you, and so he's like, no, you should treat this as an actual exercise. You might actually learn something. And so I think that Adira has not just some social skills to be more confident in, but also perhaps some learning about what it means to be in Starfleet and how to do it. 
for an arc that had the least emotional for us uh, when it was on the planet and doing their Tilly and the Cadets bit. This actually had a lot to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with the repercussions of what it all means for good or for worse. Yeah. Bad. I hope we still see Tilly and more than we saw Neelix after he left Voyager, where they <laughs> just, he sometimes phones and he's like, yeah, everything's great here. Thanks. Go play, uh, it's not for cheesy squares, was it? <laughs> I don't think it's for cheesy. No, I said it wasn't for, <laughs> for cheesy squares. Totally. Um, no, what was that? <laughs> Domjot. No, not Domjot. I just said it's not Domjot. Oh, I forgot the name. Oh. Dom Jot is on DS9, right? Yeah. Uh, th- no, it is. But Or or the Nausicaan game, I think. Dom Jot. Uh, Wait, isn't the Nausicaan game where you just stab people and they die? <laughs> it's a great game. Uh, <laughs> it's a great game where first person to die loses. Right? Um, I think so, yeah. <laughs> the stakes are your life. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I hope it's more than just phone calls. Um, <laughs> but I think it will be. I think it will be. Tilly's pretty smart and is going to have some revelations about the um, Anomaly. This season's um, plot point. Yes. But she said, like, you'll still see me at Fed HQ. And it's true that Discovery does go back there a lot, but they're not exactly going back there to check in on how tr- the training of the cadets is going. So I hope this is more than just. Like they're walking through the hallways until he's like, "Oh, hey, hi, great to see you. Oh, Gotta go gonna, to class. Bye." They will do more than that. Yeah, I know, I know. But oh, by the way, having been a teacher myself, uh, both at the high school level and the undergraduate level and the graduate level, I am very excited for Tilly. I think she's going to have a blast. <laughs> so, shall we talk about one of the other plots? Yeah, let's go to Navar. Yes. Ah, Tarina and. Saru, it's so sweet. I love that she has a crush on him. It is so adorable. <laughs> um, you know, this is like the second time we've seen like romance between a Vulcan and someone else. Last time it was between uh, Trip and Paul. We've seen people be like clearly they had a romance with like um, Spock's parents, Amanda mm-hmm. and um, uh, Sarek. Sarek, thank you. But but we haven't actually seen the courting much. And, yeah, uh, it was cute. Oh, and we saw uh, Spock and Uhura. That's right, in the movies. That's right. <laughs> but um, They were always or, fighting. Yeah, in the Calvin universe anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was cute. I don't ship het couples much, but it was cute. Yeah, I just like how shy and awkward she is around Saru because she is so composed. She is a very good Vulcan <laughs> the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But then Saru shows up and some of those barriers just crumble and she like starts glancing away and afraid to make eye contact. And it's, you wouldn't think that Vulcans live to be hundreds of years old. Cause she's acting like a little kid. <laughs> um, this whole subplot first half again for me was a bore. Uh, the only parts, the parts I liked was when Saru and uh, Tarina are talking and also having their little um, meditation scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the parts I liked most about this. Because here, is, there's another scene here of the beginning of this is full of exposition of Michael and Saru talking about exactly what they j- we just saw on TV or w- just saw play out. Now they have to spell it out for us audience who is not smart enough to figure out that these two have been brought here to be pawns in the politics. Uh or, you know, push uh, as pieces of the politics. And like, you don't need to tell me. I just watched you. Well, I liked the body language of the two presidents because 
Yeah. I, I thought it was subtle. I thought that they were basically saying to Michael and to Saru, you're being manipulated, but we want you to know that. Uh-huh. I like that. And see, you picked it up watching it, but then they immediately follow up with the scene of them going, hmm, hello, audience, we are being manipulated. <laughs> well, well, I mean, Burnham and Saru had to compare notes because they didn't know the other president was doing that. Uh, I don't know. I anyway. like treating the audience with, with that they are much smart. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking for things that make them go. Um, but I did like the whole idea. Yeah, well, I have two issues with the resolution that Burnham brought to the table. The first <laughs> issue is she proposed herself as like a I, – I thought she originally said, let's have a committee of a, like a third party – to negotiate between you two. And then she introduces herself as somebody who should be on that committee. And I'm like, (laughs) you're not a third party. You are exactly members of the first two parties. You just mentioned the Federation and Vulcan. Well, I mean, to her, that's why she was the best choice, but yeah, I was like, Hmm, we need a third person. We have one, two. I'm a third. Well, um, no, no, no. I, I, I agree with her reasons why she should be on the committee, but it seems in contradiction to what she just said about having somebody who is neither Starfleet nor Vulcan or Navarre. I did, it did feel weird to me. I thought she, I was like, even if it makes sense, I thought she was going to propose someone else or just propose it. And then they're like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll figure someone out. Right. Kind of like when Picard was negotiating with the Sheliak. Yes. <laughs> Remember? Like he said, let's have a third party arbitrator to, to resolve this dispute. And I thought that's what Burnham was saying, but she's like, no, it's me. <laughs> and we're going to find this people who sleep for like eight years at a time. <laughs> right. And also her being on that committee, if it's going to be like, she said, this committee should survey all the Federation worlds, not just Navarre. That sounds like a full-time job. And oh, she no, no, offers no. herself. She was saying each planet should have its own. Okay. That's what I was wondering. If she's going to survey only Navarre, then that's, a little bit more manageable because yeah. these volunteer positions take up a lot of time. <laughs> they do. <sighs> okay. My, my my second complaint about this resolution was she suggested, Hey, let's have a committee who, you know, conducts regular reviews of Federation homeworlds. And I was like, great idea. Why has that not existed for the last 1200 years? Yeah. Right. That <laughs> like, this is something you should be doing already anyway. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, why did it take you this long to come up? Well, maybe they did and Barron changed things, but I don't know. It just felt like, yeah, like you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're right. 120 years ago, the burn ignited all our dilithium and our subcommittees. <laughs> we lost both. All right, speaking of the burn. Okay. I was still like, they brought up again how like Navarre and a lot of Federation members were feeling ignored by the Federation. We still haven't gotten an on-screen reason for that, but apparently, and I don't know if it's supposed to be a tie-in with the show, or it's just beta canon, but uh, I was trying to figure out, like, have they said this? And I just kind of forgot about it, like, why everyone was getting unfriendly terms with the Federation, and a book by Una McCormick named Wonderland tried to answer this, and again, I do not know if this is canon, but apparently the Federation started to crack during the temporal war and its inability to help a number of member member worlds. And, um, yeah, so that kind of fits 
that fits for me, but I want to see it canon if that's true. Well, you know what? You bring up a good point, which is that we know a lot about the history since the burn, which is 120 years ago, but Discovery jumps 900 years. We don't know a lot of stuff in the rest of that era. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's not ultimately important, I guess. But like we know, we know from Carl that there was the temporal wars, and it's been mentioned a few other times. And some people in on Facebook, actually, that I was chatting with, think that because the temporal wars were mentioned so often in the third season, they were setting that up to be the cause for the DMA in the fourth season. Really? Yeah. I don't think that's likely because I when I think temporal war, I think temporal cold war, which was a very unpopular plot in Star Trek Enterprise. So why would they go back to that? Yeah, I don't think... Uh... Unless they think they've cracked the code, I don't think they're going back to that. Yeah, and this also ties into the Sphere Builders, which was, like we already discussed, if they had the ability to just blow up entire planets like they did Quajon, they wouldn't have recruited the Suliban to build this laser to fire at Florida. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. But, um... Yeah, so there's a possible explanation for the burn... Well, I brought it up just because I thought it was interesting that we once again hear... Federation was people were losing their faith in the Federation, but we still don't really have a definitive answer and we may never get it. Yeah. Cause it might not ultimately be important. It's just unknown Yeah, until they find a real reason to a reason why that should be explored. Well, I think they're moving so fast with the healing of the Federation and with member planets joining that I don't think they're likely to pull out that skeleton in the closet now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they would have had to do that first. Um, part of this, the Navarre, I talked, I touched on it with the Saru and, uh, Tarina because, um, some of my favorite scenes in Star Trek are when two aliens are talking to each other about their experience when there's no humans around, like Saru and Tarina here, but also Data and Worf had these a few times and Odo and Quark had them a lot. And I just love these scenes. Uh, it just shows another perspective of the universe without humans around. It's good stuff to me. Yes, Star Trek is a very anthrocentric show. Uh, we have never had a show where the main character isn't human, have we? Um, the main character, no. Yeah, and we, you know, we have had shows where we herald the fact that we have a. a an African-American man as the captain, or we have a woman as the captain, or we have an African-American woman as the captain. You know, those have all been milestones in Star Trek, but it's always been human. Yeah. Oh. Uh, speaking of, we have two shows right now where the, the captain is a black woman. Wait, I'm sorry. We have Discovery two and... And uh, Lower Decks. Oh, Yes. I, my mind was running through the live action shows. You're right. Yeah, I did the same thing earlier. I was like, wait, wait whoa, hello. <laughs> um, That's yeah. cool. Uh-huh. Nice. All right. I have nothing else to say about Navarre. Uh, I don't either. Cool. They're back in the Federation now. All right. They got their flag. <laughs> flag no I know. I usually only see that kind of ceremony when a military person has passed away. So I... I didn't know that's also how they induct member worlds. So that was kind of um, neat. Maybe it wasn't until now. <laughs> well, there was also, oh, there was a, a brief scene, I think in the second episode of the season when they were 
at Federation HQ looking at how the DMA worked and Book walked in and he's like, no, it's all right, go ahead. In the background, you could see the communications officer that the Discovery met last season. Remember, he was all alone in that outpost. Oh, was he there? He, I think he was in the background. Oh, cool. He didn't have any lines, but when, you know, talking about flags and of course how important it was for him to hang up that flag uh-huh. made me uh-huh. think that, oh yeah, we, sh- we saw him just like we saw him in the final episode of last season. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of continuity there. Uh, all right. Let's talk about book and his therapy with Culper, which I think will be a short discussion because neither of us are therapists and have a lot to say about it. I, I thought I liked it a lot. My note from here is we got to see two men of color talking about and working through their feelings. Hmm. In a yeah. positive way. That is a good point. This is very much the opposite of toxic masculinity. Uh, you know, one, one of the things I, I was just last night reading a review that I wrote a year and a half ago of the animated series Shira, and what I wrote was how positive it is to have a role model of characters working through their emotions constructively, especially when it defies gender stereotypes. And how I wish I'd had role models like that when I was a kid. Uh, Star Trek Discovery is that role model now. Uh, that's awesome. I'm so yeah. glad they went this route. I didn't have much to say of it. it I don't know if there is much for us to say. Uh, Culver's really good at what he does. Well, I, I have two quick things. One is, yeah. you know, and I hadn't thought of this until you just mentioned it, actually. Which was, I would not have been surprised at all if at one point Book got so frustrated that he like punched something or kicked something over or just got really angry. Uh, and uh, he did kind of like wipe away his sand model at one point, but that was not angry. It wasn't violent. That's the word I'm looking for. Violent. I would not have, you know, book has every right to be violent after what he's been through. And he didn't express himself that way. Yeah. Uh, TV has trained us to this point. This is how men respond. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really cool that he didn't. Uh, and the other thing I thought was really interesting was there's a little crack in Culber's voice at the end where he said that he has things he'd like to wipe away and he doesn't feel he can talk about it right now. Yeah. I can't wait to see what that means. Yeah. And the, uh, it could be anything. It could be, I mean, there's a lot to all these characters that we don't know yet. The only thing we've seen that it could be is the fact that he did die. You know, that's that's a lot to go through. Just ask Harry Kim. Or who does therapy for the therapist? Right. You know, I mean, therapists do need therapy. I, the, the people that we count on to save us see and hear horrible things. I mean, there is such a high trauma rate among EMTs because they're the first responders and they see stuff and they are not always able to help the people that they see. And that mm-hmm. they that's a lot of emotional weight to bring home from work. Yeah. So and I, I imagine Dr. Culber, he's not only hearing people's problems and the problems aren't all, I don't like mac and cheese. What else should I try? <laughs> you know, it's it can be heavy stuff. And at the same time, he's also in sick bay, And not all doctors can save everybody, even in whatever century they're in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it. That's all I got. You know, this week I intentionally did not look at any discussions of anyone else's. Usually I check on Reddit with that. But I kind of mentioned last week I've been getting more and more, like, I don't know, this... Is disenfranchised the right word? Uh, dis- Disenchanted? Disenchanted, maybe, yeah. Uh, like, discussions, like, come on, people. you can. There's more deeper stuff. In it. And, like, here we got to talk about some deeper things and more how it felt personally and emotionally. And I get more out of the Star Trek discussions of that than 
reading about surface level and anger thoughts on internet. Well, that's one of the reasons why we have this podcast is because we need somebody to have those discussions with. It is. Maybe I just need to find a new form or a different form, excuse me, a new form. They talk about how much (laughs) fandom in general can be tough to have discussions about. (laughs) Because I would use it a lot to think about like what I want to talk about here. Like I would come out, I would write a bunch of notes and then kind of go online and see what other people thought or think. And not necessarily to compare, but like, oh, what did I miss? What like that? Like, oh, yeah. But lately, I just kind of more and more bummed about how people just want to be angry so easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, like, I bring this up because, I mean, just like, I've had these thoughts for years. Like, the worst part about Reddit are the fandoms, like Star Trek, mm. Doctor Who, and internet itself. Like, I watched the first episode of Cowboy Bebop live action yesterday after internet has been poo pooing it and saying how it's bad i loved the heck out of it and i have not seen the original animated series uh other than the first episode and it makes me just like how much of our culture is defined by the anger that we see online and i get so bummed about it sometimes and uh it happens to star trek too people want to how much hate we've seen in star trek especially about discovery like oh this is a show about burnham uh, or at Star Trek Day, we're going to have someone say something homophobic to um, Culber's actor. Or people picking on Mary Weissman's weight. Uh, just like, come on, people, we can be better than this. And mm-hmm. I want to have discussions. There's not, there's not to mean there can't be criticism. Real criticism. Not angry shouting and hoping someone retweets you. Oh. Sorry, yeah. that's just my... <laughs> no, I get it. It's, I mean, even before the internet, you rarely would call a retailer or a restaurant and say, hey, I had great service last night. I just wanted you to know. You'd call them to say you had bad service and you wanted to complain. And the internet amplifies the opportunities and the voices for those complaints. You know, yeah. I was uh, looking to buy the Nintendo Switch game Boyfriend Dungeon. I was really excited for it to come out. And I, I have a significant backlog, so I was going to wait for it to go on sale. It's now on sale. And uh, it was also a nominee at the Game Awards this past week of Games for Impact, which is great. And so I posted on Reddit and I said, hey, this game is now on sale. And one person was like, great, I've been waiting for it. And somebody else said, this game has an amazing soundtrack. And somebody else said, I bought this game. It is not good. <laughs> like I was looking forward to it after playing it at PAX and it is not what I hoped it would be. And I was like, oh, well, should I not buy it then? Because I haven't yet, and I was going to, but maybe I should just wait for a better sale? But that one comment, I mean, and, you know, that person is allowed to not like something, and he is not yucking my yum. He's not saying other people shouldn't like it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. It's, it's a thing, and I hope that, internet has a some kind of revolution soon or <laughs> i don't know coming to terms with itself about like we can don't have to be angry all the time we can criticize meaningfully without being angry uh yeah and i just hope like i hope uh that's why i brought it up because i usually look at star trek discussions and this week i'm just like no i'm sitting on my own thoughts this time 
<laughs> the reason I started to laugh a little bit in case you heard me when you started mm-hmm. on that topic is because uh, I had just said, this is why we have this podcast. And you said, yeah, maybe I just need to find a new form for these discussions. The insecure part of me thought you were going to say, yeah, I just need to find a new host. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, what? No. <laughs> why? I, I know I do like it when we have a third person. Uh, yes. I really get a lot of out of the show when we have a third person, but um, that's for talking in the future. Yes, we've had some wonderful guests on the show, and we look forward to having more wonderful guests on the show. And so, with other random thoughts about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, all is possible. Um, as we're kind of getting close, close to the end here, I yep. have three little bullets. Let's hear it. I, you can tell I'm delaying as I get the notes prepared to read about that. <laughs> All right, so the first one. I loved that they gave President Tarina contacts that make the area around her eyes green. Uh, not The irises are mostly white, but the area right around the irises are mostly white, except for a little bit of green. Because in all of Star Trek, it takes me out of it a little bit when I will see like red blood vessels or the red in eyes, because they're supposed to have green blood. And, um, and so the, to put that detail here of adding a bit more green, uh, I thought that was just perfect wonderful wait you're, you're looking at the president's eyes yeah and wait are you saying that they gave a reason for that no it was they didn't talk about it but it was subtle like for me in real life watching star trek watching vulcans knowing that they have supposed to have green blood but i see red every to all the time i see their eyes or a lot of times their cheeks oh um i didn't even notice would, yeah but now now sorry to ruin it for you <laughs> huh. and but they put the attention to detail to give her a little bit of a green hue in her eyes. Huh. Uh, it's usually red because we're human. Uh, play, actors playing these. Uh, really, I appreciated it. You're not talking about the color of the iris, but just like the, the veins, right? Oh, yeah. Some of the veins and area around it. Yep. Okay. By the way, I liked the Federation president. It was implied that she is human Bajoran and Cardassian. Oh, yeah. Flat out said it this time. We've talked about it in the past. I brought it up. That she is mm-hmm. that. And here they just said like, yep, she is that. Yeah, and she became a little more relatable. I think she, just like Vance had a character arc last season, she's becoming a little bit less of a bad guy. I feel like she's more willing and able to collaborate with Burnham. Um, it was funny that in one of these online discussions, you know, we, we were talking about this uh, threat for this season, and somebody else said, "I don't trust the Federation president. She's Cardassian." I'm like, oh. that's so racist. Racist. And 900 years. Uh, right. Like, even if the race doesn't even exist and this is science fiction, it's still racist. <laughs> and also, that's exactly what we encountered with the cadets this week. Like, oh, not all Orions are bad. Yeah. Dang. Dang. <laughs> anyway, go on. Other note, we got the NXO one snow globe. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd be happy to see. Um... My last bullet here, but I think I'm going to add one more after this. Um, Tilly was talking to Michael about her mother. And um, Tilly said, um, she, she said, my mother is 900 years in the past. Mm-hmm. Not she's dead or not. That was 900 years ago. And for me, that kind of really accented for the crew or at least Tilly. The time isn't necessarily um, time isn't necessarily a time, but a place because mm. they literally and so it just made me think like another level of like her mother still is alive, just not right now, but in a different when. And I thought, yeah. I thought it was just really cool and subtle, whether it was intentional or not. I don't know. 
No, I like that too. And I'm sure it was intentional and it, so, it, and it and made me realize how freeing that can be. Like we, you and I talked last season about the trauma of everybody, you know, now being dead, but it's not like they died suddenly. It's that they had a full life without you. And that's, that's a big difference. And I feel like if I were to go to the future, like I would miss my family. I feel like I recently reconnected with my brother and I'm looking forward to seeing where that relationship goes. But there are other people in my family that I don't have such a great relationship with. And I, you know, once they're gone, that is a missed opportunity. And yet at the same time, it's also not something I can do anything about anymore. Yeah. And so being able to put them in a place, even though it's like, I mean, time and space and all that stuff is kind of, it fits, it fits. And I just made me kind of happy. Let's see like, yeah, they are alive still just in a different when. Yep. Um, uh, yeah uh, yeah no I just really liked that I really liked that and you have another point you wish to share yeah um, Brian Singer oh I think he was um, he's been a director in Hollywood for quite a while yeah he directed the first two X-Men movies and Superman Returns back in 2006 Nemesis and um, let's see I bring him up because his friend John Ottoman directed this Okay. And I started going through, like, what are these people worked on? Like, the directors. And maybe kind of get some insight into things like that. And, um, like, last week, the director was actually the one who directed the very first episode of Discovery. Hmm. I throw the blank on a name. And so, like, that person helped set the tone for Discovery. Right. And now, um, I think I'm getting confused on Brian Singer versus who was the showrunner here for a bit in Discovery. I think it was Brian Singer. Was it Brian Singer? Because I thought it was Brian but then I was like, oh, is that how I get the name messed up? But shows like both both the last week's director and this week's director were friends of Brian, even though he's no longer showrunner. Okay. And so like so I just thought like, oh, that's an interesting way you got this job. <laughs> but um John Ottoman directed this and he worked on a lot of those movies with Brian Singer, like X2 and the Star Treks and whatnot. And so I just trying to see like where they came from in trying to make these episodes. And it was kind of just I don't know if I had much to glean here, but I do find it interesting to do that research and kind of try to learn more about where the directors come from. It wasn't Brian Singer, it was Brian Fuller. That's it, Fuller. I knew it was an er. Um, but Singer did have some connections to Star Trek uh, too. Uh, okay, then we just to clarify, Brian Singer was the director of uh, the first two X-Men movies and Superman Returns, and he had a cameo in Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, cameo. That, that's right, because it was Stuart yeah. Baird. Anyway. Uh, but but uh, he was not the showrunner for Discovery. That's Brian Fuller. Fuller. There we go. I thought that something was off there. But uh, And so I've been just trying to make a point to try it, even if it didn't really have much to do here, trying to figure out the writers and directors to see what they brought to the episode and tie it into their past work. And I'm going to try to do that more often. Cool. Um, uh, speaking yeah. of past works, there's a show I recently discovered that I DM'd you about called Awake with Jason Isaacs. You remember him, right? He yeah. uh, is the evil captain who died. Waiting for Spoiler. him to come back. <laughs> so this show is similar to, uh, there was a 2006 series called Life on Mars. It ran for one season in Britain, and then it was remade for, in both America and South Korea. And they all three versions ran for only one season. <laughs> uh, in Life on Mars, this cop is in an accident, and he wakes up and it's like the 1960s, but then he also sometimes wakes up and it's the future and he doesn't know which is real. And so, and he's, so he like, he's trying to solve crimes in both. 
This is a little similar. Awake ran on NBC for one season in 2012, starring Jason Isaacs, who played Captain Lorca, uh, set in modern day. And he and his wife and son are in a car accident. And when Jason Isaac wakes up every day, he alternates in one reality. His son died in the car accident. And the other reality, it was his wife. And so he always sees one or the other, but never both. And just like Life on Mars, he's a cop. And now he's trying to use clues from one timeline to solve crimes in the other timeline. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah. So I have not looked up where it can be found for watching. It's something that I want to see because it's a low commitment. It only ran, as I said, for one season, 13 episodes. I don't know if they wrapped it up at the end, but I like these parallel timelines. I haven't seen Jason Isaacs in much other than Discovery and Harry Potter. And so I I would like to check out this series. I like shows that are low commitments. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And now Um, I know Cowboy Bebop live action is going to be low commitment because they already canceled it. Oh, no, they did? Yep. Internet hated it enough. I mean, it might be the case where Internet was right and like this probably problems, but I love the first episode. Well, you know, one of the things that our friends Susan and Amanda have helped me verbalize is there are two different scales on which media can be judged how good it is and how much you like it. Yes. Yes. Like you can like some really bad movies and that's oh, yeah. fine. I love yeah. MXC, the game show, even though it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or like I remember loving the movie. Oh, what was it called? Mafia with Jay Moore. <laughs> oh my God. I love that movie. I'm See? a mother. <laughs> Yes, yes, that scene. That is hilarious. <laughs> and yet, if I were to look up right now on Rotten Tomatoes, that movie, uh, oh, it, it was originally advertised as uh, Jane Austen's Mafia, remember? Wow, I forgot all about that. Yeah, and I told my oldest brother that he's uh, not well-read, and he's like, oh, is that a play on Austin Powers? <laughs> oh. Like, no. So, Jane Austen's Mafia has a 14 rating on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) I love it. Right? Right. So that's one of those cases where there's a disconnect between how good the movie is and how much we like it. Yep. yep. And that's fine. And (laughs) it's too bad when movies we like or shows we like get canceled because they're not good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, One other thing I want to bring up, additional Mm -hmm. media, is I mentioned earlier the Game Awards and how Boyfriend Dungeon was nominated. The Game Awards is also an event where new games are debuted. And we saw our first look at Star Trek Resurgence. So this is a... It's funny, like, Telltale is this company that made a bunch of almost choose-your-own-adventure type games. They very famously imploded and went out of business. And yet there are still telltale games being made. And this game is made by not that brand name, which still exists somehow, but a lot of alumni of telltale. So it's a game where you get to uh, walk around, look at things, make decisions. There's one point where you're a female captain and the Admiral tells you to do something and a a menu pops up and your choices are (laughs) obey orders or disobey orders. (laughs) As if it was always that black and white. Uh, and you said that you were not interested until you saw that it has Spock. Well, like, I have not. The only Telltale game of like, this I've played was the Back to the Future one, and it was all right. But I just never had been all that interested in those series. Like, okay, cool, whatever. And then like Spock. I wouldn't say that I was – it didn't make me 
interested. Maybe I've said, if I said interested, maybe more like it didn't make me pay attention until I saw him. Hmm. Uh, but I don't know. If I, I don't know if I'll play it or not. Maybe I will. Uh, you know, speaking of Spock, I was a little turned off of. Like I'm fine with Spock being recast. Like Zachary Quinto plays a great Spock, and then we have uh, what's his name from Star Trek Discovery and soon to be Strange New Worlds. But this well, is what's that? I'm ready for because I know the. I think I know the but. But in this case, it's Leonard Nimoy's depiction like played this. by somebody else. Yeah, looks like old Spock. It looks like. It looks like his lightness from 2009 series and and um, Con too. Yeah, yeah, and so I I feel like taking Leonard Nimoy's Spock and having somebody else play him that's a little unsettling to me. And our friend of the show Velda said that his depiction hid an uncanny valley for her. Yeah, it's a little weird, yeah. but maybe it'd be uh, cool once you see it in action. Yeah, I I like Telltale games. I think the only one I've played was the first season of The Walking Dead, and I never finished it. But the Life is Strange series, which I know you and I have talked about, you have some legitimate concerns about that series. Uh, but I like it, and it's similar in some ways to Telltale. So it's also, I, when is the last time I played a Star Trek game? I've never played on uh, Star Trek Online or Star Trek Timelines. It might be Starfleet Academy on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> Uh, the last one I played was the MMO, and before that, I think it was um, Klingon Academy. That that was a thing. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Uh, six discs. Uh, Gorkon got Gorkon. Um, God, famous actor who was in Star Trek Six. Um, oh, Christopher. Yes, Plumber. 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 Yeah, he reprised his role for this. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, it was awesome. Huh, who knew? So I don't know when Resurgence is coming out. I can tell you that it is set in the year 2380, which is around the same time as the uh, series Lower Decks. Cool. So we'll see that coming out probably next year. And if it's available for the Switch... I'll play it. I don't know if it is. Not all games come out for the Switch, but this seems like a pretty not very intensive game. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so they should be able to release it for the Switch. They're doing Life is Strange, so why not this? Yeah. All right. That's all I got. How about you? That's all I got. Okay. Well, then, thank you for tuning in to Transporter Lock. We're going to continue watching Discovery, and maybe we'll even have some exciting guests on the show. And, Sabriel, I am going to be seeing you pretty darn soon. Yeah, you will. You'll be up here in Fargo, don't you, though? <laughs> I mean, up in the spaceship that we are in. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Until next time. Good night, Gracie. What? <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>